Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. Lord Janice was hiding with the women and children. Jon Snow was leading. Sir Alistair fought bravely, it is true. And when he was wounded, it was Jon who saved us. Took charge of the wall's defence. He killed the Magna of the Thens. He went north to deal with Mance Raider. No one who almost certainly meant his own death. Before that, he led the mission to avenge Lord Commander Mormont. Mormont himself chose Jon to be his steward. He saw something in Jon, and now we've all seen it too. He may be young, but he's the commander we turned to when the night was darkest. Hello! Hello. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Woo! Joining me today... Now that he's finished setting the wedding menu with Lawless. <laughs> I hear the pigeon pie is... Hopefully not dry. Quite moist. It's a <laughs> ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason. Yes. I've been all around the world. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I've learned, <laughs> it's that meanness comes around. That's why we're focusing on niceness. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one at a time requisite spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books for this episode and season and beyond. So grab your best maroon cranberry? Scarlet? Sure. Leather jacket? Yeah. Great jacket. Incredible. Because it's time to break down season five, episode two, The House of Black and White. Yeah. Let's not spend the entire trip to Volantis talking about the futility of everything. Let's also offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in this second episode. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In Bravos, Essos, Arya arrives at the House of Black and White. She knocks on the door. A kindly old man denies her entry. She waits, passing the time by reciting her list. And finally, in frustration, she pitches the coin that Jockin gave her into the canal and walks away. Later in the city proper, the old man gets Arya out of a jam with some local toughs. She follows him back to the house of black and white. He gives her back her coin and becomes jockin. Arya's training begins. Meanwhile, back in Westeros, at an inn on the King's Road where, you know, the food must be good because there's Gotta a crowd. Yeah. Brienne and Pod stop for a bite. The waitress catches Pod's eye, hey. and so do two patrons. Is that Sansa Stark? Yeah. Is that Lord Peter Baelish? What are you guys doing here? Did you also check the Yelp reviews for the area? <laughs> are you allowing open table access yeah. to your GPS tracker? Brienne, this is her moment. Yeah, she tries to get Sansa to come with her, to leave Littlefinger behind, to allow Brienne to fulfill her pledge to Cat, but she fails, and a Horse chase? Sure. Ensues. High speed 
Why not? Medium speed chase. Why not? And uh, Bran kills a bunch of dudes. Yeah. That Valerian steel shattering a sword right there. It's pretty great. King's Landing. A message has arrived from Dorne. It is a carved red viper and a necklace. Marcellus. A clear threat. Jamie decides to sail for Dorne to assuage Cersei's fears. Cersei has basically named herself Hand of the King. Uh, she names Kyburn to the small council as master of master. Her uncle Kevin with an A is irate. And he refuses to carry out Cersei's orders unless they come directly from the king. He decides to go back to Casterly Rock and await out the storm that is surely coming under Cersei's reign. At Stokeworth, the crown lens. Bronn! Yeah. Taking a stroll on the beach with his stones. Lala Stokeworth plotting ever so subtly her older sister's murder. <laughs> Not even really that subtly. That castle will be bronze, <laughs> yeah. damn it. But then, ah, twist. Yes. Jamie fucking Lannister in his gorgeous fucking leather Incredible jacket. Incredible jacket. Shows up, blows up Bronn's spot, offers Bronn a deal. Hey, I'm gonna break up your relationship here. I've got a new husband lined up for Lalis, but good news. Yeah. You get to accompany me to Dorne on a mission. And when we get back, I'm going to give you a better wife and a better castle. In the water gardens of Dorne, Elaria Sand visits Prince Doran, Oberyn's brother. She castigates him over his lack of action in the wake of his brother's death. No justice for Elia and the royal babies. And now none for the Red Viper. When will you strike back? Elaria wants to know. Meanwhile, Marcella Lannister strolls the gardens without a care in the world. In Marine, our favorite place. <laughs> Danny's crackdown begins. Dario and Grey Worm raid the hideout of a member of the Sons of the Harpy. They arrest him, they bring him in for questioning. A little bit of a debate among Danny's counselors what to do execute him, give him a trial, question him. Dario's yeah. already done some questioning, as it turns out. Well, Danny, after chatting with Barrison and getting a little. Mad King facts yeah. debrief. TLDR, the Mad King was bad. <laughs> Don't be like him. Danny <laughs> decides to show a little mercy and to give the harpy a trial. Yeah. Not happy about this? Maz, rising rapidly up the ranks, yeah. decides to take action of his own. Let's head to the dungeons. Let's kill this harpy because the harpies to Maz represent a threat. They want right us in chains again. How does Danny respond to this treachery? Well, this is a debate because if she goes easy on Maz, she's a hypocrite who basically risks driving more masters into the arms of the harpy because she's showing herself weak. She yeah. will not punish those who betray her. But flip side, this is tough. If she punishes Maz, she risks alienating all of the freedmen who support her. She chooses ultimately to have him executed and a riot ensues. On the road to Volantis in Essos, Varys and Tyrion ride in a first-class carriage and bicker about the imps drinking and steadily deepening depression. Tyrion suggests an outing to a fine drinking establishment, or even not a fine one, just to break the tension. After all, it's not like Cersei can kill every single dwarf in Essos, can she? Wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Meanwhile, up at Castle Black, a lot going on. There's an election. Also, Stannis is still around, and he still wants to take the North. A potential way in? Ah, John, you can help. How? Stannis offers to legitimize John to turn him with the stroke of a pen 
from Jon Snow to Jon Stark, Lord of Winterfell. What's the catch? Jon has to bend the knee, raise his banners for the flaming stag. Not an easy decision. We'll talk about this more later. Ultimately, Jon refuses. He is a brother of the Night's Watch. And he's about to be more than that. He's about to be Lord Commander because it's election time. And after a stirring campaign ad in a primetime slot (laughs) from Samwell Charlie, he swings the vote. That's right. In Jon's favor. While he was with the women and the children in a puddle of his own making, Jon Snow was leading. Dun, 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 dun. Mal, doing this podcast with you is the first thing I ever remember wanting. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Stick it with a pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is temptation. It's not easy to stay the course, especially when it's so rarely clear which course is the right one. And in the House of Black and White, we see our characters' convictions tested time and again, sometimes through distraction, sometimes through confusion, sometimes through being presented with the truest, purest object of his or her desire. Carrots and sticks, sticks and carrots. John, of course tempted in the cruelest way yeah. possible. Everything he's ever wanted, right? Other here. than saying, you want to know who your mother is? Right. What could have a stronger pull over John than saying what Stannis says to him right. here? So let's let's set up their exchange a little bit, right? Stannis is annoyed with yeah, John he's actually. Pissed. He's not happy with him because John killed Mance with an arrow preventing Stannis' order from being carried out. What do we know about Stannis? He doesn't like people who prevent his orders from being carried out, right? And then, on top of that, one other little annoyance. The homie Lyanna Mormont! (laughs) Bear Island up in this. Has pissed in his cereal. Stannis is reaching out for help. He wants the Northern Lords to rise to a line behind him to take back the North from the Boltons. And what's Stannis's question? Do you know this wretched girl, Lyanna <laughs> Mormont? John says the Lord Commander's niece. Yeah. Stannis, lady of Bear Island and a child of 10. I asked her to commit her house to my cause. That's her response. He hands John a bit of parchment that we get to see on camera. It's clearly written in a child's right. hand, right? With a little drawing of a bear. Precious, <laughs> darling. Bear Island knows no king but the king in the north whose name is Stark. I can't, like, I'm, like, getting choked up. It's so fucking good. This is what it's all about. Loyalty, allegiance, identity. Who are you? That's who House Mormont is. They're loyal to the Starks. She is a queen. John smiles. Yeah. Stannis doesn't like that. That amuses you, (laughs) right? Apologies, Your Grace. Northerners can be a bit like the free folk loyal to their own. Ah, John just gave Stannis the perfect yeah. in. That's the opening he needed. Loyal to their own. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 funny you should funny you should mention that, right? John says, I'm a brother of the Night's Watch. I've pledged them my life, my honor, my sword. I don't know what I have left to give you. Stannis says, You can give me the North. John says, I can't. Right. Even if I wanted to, I'm a bastard, a snow. And here it is. Here it is, the moment. Kneel before me. Lay your sword at my feet, pledge me your service, and you'll rise again as John Stark, Lord of Winterfell. John Stark, just say it. Yeah. John Stark. It sounds pretty good. Sounds right. Yeah, sounds right. Sounds, sounds really, really sounds right. Sounds very, very right. Really, really right. And the look on John's face, you just see it instantly. Yeah. He just has heard 
the thing that he's wanted his entire life, right? And he says as much to Sam in the next scene. It's the first thing I ever remember wanting. I daydream that my father would ask the king, and just like that, I'd never be bastard of Winterfell again. And Sam's thrilled for him. You deserve it, buddy. I'm yep. thrilled for you, right? And then John shocks him by saying, I'm going to refuse him. Sam doesn't understand this. You'd be Lord of Winterfell, right? What matters more than that? This is the thing. John Stark, being John Stark is the thing that John has always wanted more than anything else, other than knowing who his mother is. But it's now trumped by the pledge. He swore, he says to Sam, I swore a vow to the Night's Watch. If I don't take my own words seriously, what sort of Lord of Winterfell would I be? Where have we heard this before, by the way? We heard something similar from Cat Stark chiding Rob Stark Indeed. for breaking his pledge to marry the Frego. I don't want to marry the Frego. And so it's a ni- this is a really interesting contrast here where John presented with, I mean, in many ways, a temptation that is far and beyond what Rob was faced with. Right. I mean, Rob was just like, oh man, she's she's hot. She's hot. Firm tits and a tight fit. This is more than that. And John is looking at it and he's saying, I made a vow. This is why John is the best. Yes. This is why John is the best character and the one who deserves our undying love and yes. support. Look at the growth that he's showing. It's Look, amazing. as Jason just said, at the contrast between the choice John is making here and the choice that failed fallen leaders have made before him. Look at how he's taking to heart what Eamon and Mormont and Mance and the half-hand yeah. and all of these mentors have taught him over time. And, you know, we instantly, one of the things that's cool about this episode is we instantly get to see the fruit of that growth because it's election time. And what kind of strength do you want in a leader? You want a guy who's not going to cower down in the smoke room with the meat and the women and the children. He's going to be up there with a sword in his hand. He's going to fight. The election appears to be a clear-cut race between the two primary candidates. You've got Dennis Malister, Dennis, the Shadow Tower. Dennis Eyebrows Malister. Dennis Eyebrows <laughs> Malister, long-serving brother of the Night's Watch. And we've got Alistair Thorne, mm. one of the most decorated and hardcore rangers of Castle Black. But then comes a third-party candidate. No. Samuel Tarley shocks the room by nominating Jon Snow. And Jon is like, eh, no, 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 no. You know, doing like the, the waving his hand in front of his neck. Like, no, 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 no. But it's not up to him. And then Sam, really an amazing speaking performance by Samuel Tar- Tarley. He says, you know, calls out Jano Slint, as I said before, for, for cowering during the battle of Castle Black. He says, while Lord Janos was hiding with the women and children, Jon Snow was leading. And that's like straight out of a political ad. <laughs> Sir Alistair fought bravely, it's true. But when he was wounded, it was Jon who saved us. I like a brother of the Night's Watch who doesn't get wounded. <laughs> <laughs> he took charge of the wall's defense. He killed the Magnar <laughs> of the Thens. He went north to deal with Mance Raider, knowing it almost certainly would mean his own death. And before that, he led the mission to avenge Lord Commander Mormont. Mormont himself chose John to be his steward. He saw something in John, and now we have all seen it too. He may be young, but he's the commander we turned to when the night was darkest. Whoa! So good. Man, what a run for Sam right now. Really great Sam is on fucking fire. Yeah. Love this. 
notable, yeah. too, that Thorne's efforts to undercut John following Sam's stirring speech actually hinge on temptation as well, yeah. just kind of the opposite side of it, right? He's trying to show how John can give in to temptation. You know, he brings up Egret. Do you want to choose a man who's fought the wildlings all his life? Or a man who makes love to them. How do we feel about Alistair Thorne being someone who says makes love? Yeah, that's by not, the way. I, I'm pretty sure Are that. Are we all on board with that? <laughs> Alistair Thorne is not a makes love guy. No, I'd say not. I'd say not. Making love to her own ambition over in King's Landing. <laughs> Cersei Lannister. She's tempting the realm. She really is. Bring me my brother's head, right? That's what she wants. What What's Tyrion's alternate suggestion when he hears this from Varys? She ought to offer her cunt. The best part of her for the best part of me. Cersei is also tempting the <laughs> dumber, more doltish council members, right? Oh. She just marches into that small council meeting and sits down and just like right away. Easy marks all around her. Yeah. So she thinks. Mace. Oh, you're great. <laughs> 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 Great moment when he's like, I, I'd be, I'd be happy to see Sam. I'd be your grace. Pycelle also making the move, right? By the way, this man, embarrassment in this itself. Not even amazing. She names Kyburn Master of Whisperers. Pycelle is horrified, right? Yeah. And then she tries to name Kevin with an A, Master of War. But interesting yeah. moment here. He does not give in to that temptation. He calls her out on her puppeteering. He says, I did not return to the Capitol to serve as your puppet to watch you stack the small council with psychophants, sending your own brother away. More on that later. Yeah. I refuse to recognize your authority to say what is and is not my concern. You're the queen mother. Nothing more. Wow. What happened here? Why is Kevin so out on mm. Cersei so quickly? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, let's start with his son, Lancel, who is damaged goods. Yeah. Um, how much does Kevin know about their relationship? He might suspect something, and Lancel certainly has never been the same. And as we saw uh, previously in the, in the first episode of the season, Lancel is open about the things that have happened. Then there's the War of the Five Kings, which you could argue is uh, partially Cersei's fault and her inability to restrain Joffrey from having Ned assassinated. There's just a lot of things that you can traced directly back to Cersei's doing. And then there's the whispers, the rumors swirling around that the children of Robert Baratheon are actually the children of Jaime and Cersei. And it would have been, you know, Cersei's irresponsibility that would, in Kevin's mind, surely have flamed these rumors. Um, she's not doing enough to quash them, certainly. Right. And so he would blame her for a lot of stuff, a lot of the bad things that have befallen this house, up to the death of Tywin Lannister, certainly Kevin would lay at her feet. And where is the king? Why is the king not here? Why, you know, where's who's the hand? Why is he not passing these edicts under counsel from his advisors? Why is it the queen? What about Jamie? Yeah. What about the other Lannister? Tempted now that Tywin is gone, they, they you know, Cersei has broached the subject of why even try to hide this shit anymore. And he's tempted to win Cersei's affection again. He loves her. Fun fact about Jamie, he's never been with anybody else but Cersei. Hard as that is to believe. Doesn't make any sense. Um, and so he wants to prove to her, I'm still that guy. I, I don't have my sword hand anymore. 
but I can still fight. I can still get it done. I can still be a robust warrior. And after that package arrives from Dorne, a clear threat at Marcella, he says, I'm going to go down there, you know, and Cersei says to him, what, what has our caution bought? Our eldest child murdered at his own wedding. Our daughter shipped off to Dorne. Our baby boy set to marry that smirking whore from Highgarden. <laughs> and Jamie says, I'm going to make things better. You've never made anything better. I'm going to Dorne. I'm going to bring our daughter home. And Cersei is like, first of all, she doesn't quite believe it. And then she says, you know, if you go down there, that's war. You can't go down there at the head of a Lannister army. Forget about it. And he says, no army, I'll find her. Is there anything else, your grace? Interesting. You're going to Dorne, one-handed man alone? And then Jamie, of course, I never said I was going alone, which leads us. She's so mean. She's very, she's just angry at Jamie for A one-handed man? For not being the man that he was when he had two hands. And this leads us right to the temptation of Sir Bronn of the Blackwater. <laughs> Skipping stones. What an idyllic scene. Beautiful. You know, he's walking arm in arm with the blonde Lala Stokeworth, skipping those stones across the bay. Who would have ever thought we'd see Bronn in fine clothes like this? And and when he sees Jamie Lannister, oh man, he knows this isn't good. This can't be, can this possibly be good? Uh, you know, and meanwhile, of course, he's talking about how can we kill your older sister <laughs> so you can inherit Stokeworth? It's great. It's pretty great. What, you know, love is wonderful. And Bron Savvy, he, he says immediately, there's no way this little visit could possibly mean anything good for me. Uh, and Jamie smartly understands, I can't just go and tear Bron's like one chance at being an actual upstanding citizen away from him without something else. And he says, you know, when we return, I'm going to give you a much better girl and a much better castle. You better come with an offer like that for Bron. Bron's a climber. Yeah. And uh, Dorn is going to give him give him that path to climbing. Speaking of Dorn, Alaria and her new haircut. Morning haircut. Down there trying to tempt the Red Viper's brother. Prince Doran into declaring war to avenge Oberyn's death. The prince's stance is pretty basic. There's yeah. nothing here to avenge. He died in trial by combat. Yeah. It's, it's not legit. Murder. Yeah. It's not murder. Alaria, not on the same page at all. Her effort to tempt here takes the form of a threat. She's furious. She's full of fire and vengeance here. Act or we will. The Sand Snakes, she says, these are Oberyn's bastard daughters, yeah. are with me. They have the love of their people. They will avenge their father while you sit here in your chair doing nothing. Oberyn is dead, and this Lannister girl, referring to Marcella, skips about the water gardens. How many of your brothers and sisters do they have to kill? Let me have her. Let me send her to Cersei. One finger at a time. Yeah. Gross. Doran says he loved his brother, right? And Alaria he knows, right. made Oberyn very happy. So he's basically like, I'm willing to like tolerate your yeah, presence I'll... here and put up with you and give you a place not only in my home, but in my heart. But, he says, we do not mutilate little girls for vengeance. Not here. Not while I rule. He's going to be a tough one for Ilaria to budge. Will she be able to succeed? How long will that be? She says and then walks out. Yeah, that's kind of a threat. Uh, Danny is dealing with multiple temptations being pulled in various directions to kill or not to kill, to be the queen or to be the mad queen. 
Masador wants Danny to kill harpies, just viciously, just make it a war of total genocide against the harpies. Just go out and slay them all. And Danny considers it, even prefers it almost. She says it would send a message. Now, this is something, right, that we've heard Joffrey say. Yes. Yes, he says this. <laughs> this, is, this is creepy. And these are those those mad queen overtones we get from Danny from time to time. And Barristan says, well, you know, let's keep it lawful. He says, give him a trial at least. Show all the citizens in Marine you're better than those who would depose you. Teach them a better way. And Masador says, mercy, fair trial. These mean nothing to them. All they understand is blood. As always, Danny is hearing competing views. Which pull is stronger? Is it the pull of history and the temptation not to make the same mistakes that her father made? Remember the, the speech that Sir Barristan gave her about the Mad King and all the crazy shit he did? Barristan says, when the people rose and rebelled against him, your father set their towns and castles aflame. He murdered sons in front of their fathers. He burnt men alive with wildfire and laughed as they screamed. And his efforts to stamp out our descent led to rebellion that killed every Targaryen except two. She says, I will not have the sons of the harpy executed without fair trial. So she gives in. Problem, the slaves of Marine might rightly think, okay, Daenerys is here. She needs her dragons to grow She's obviously planning at some point to sail west. Uh, and we're still going to be here with these people who had held us in bondage for thousands of years. So we've got to take care of this because Nary's not going to be here all the time. So he goes rogue. Masador goes rogue. And why does he do it? And he tells her, for you, Misa, this puts Danny in the toughest, most brutal of positions. Which position does she take? Do you give her power base of, you know, the people that really look to her as not just a queen, but literally their mother right. who gave them freedom. Does she give them what they want by not punishing Maz? You could exile him maybe, you know, let him live essentially. Or does she stick to her guns as someone who's trying to govern a people, trying to create a, a nation of laws and punish Masador for defying her? Both bad choices. She's in an incredibly tough spot here. There's no good choice. And she says, you open your gates to me because I promised you freedom and justice. This is when she's brought Masador out and she's uh, addressing the gathered masters and freedmen. And then the hissing after the execution, that weird cat hiss. Bizarre. Very strange. Bizarre that instantly everyone would start hissing at Danny. Huge riot breaks up, but thank God for Drogon. And that... What a well-timed arrival from the, the little guy. And really, guy. that's the final temptation because here he is, the dragon who she is closest to, certainly, that she feels is her favorite child. And she, you know, that that longing with which she reaches for him. And then he flies away. Sansa, tempted by the real shit here. Tempted to try ale at long last. Little finger grooming his, this, grooming Sansa. This exchange, I watched this a couple times Ugh. because it was so creepy. It turned my stomach. <laughs> so so creepy. Yeah. I'd forgotten how creepy this is. Do like the taste. <laughs> I don't see what all the fuss is about. Why do men like it so much? It gives some men courage. Does it give you courage? Oh my God. He look, the glint in his eye is disgusting. Just undressing her <laughs> with his eyes right there at the yeah. table. Just so happens that uh, someone else has sex on the mind. Pod. And he is watching that waitress. Like a hawk. And lucky, too, because she happens to go over to serve yeah. Littlefinger. Ah, Pod. I know who that is. Yeah, who's that guy? Brienne, you're not going to believe this. It's crazy. Guess who's also at this party? Yeah. 
And Brienne makes her move right away. This is her moment, right? Littlefinger, though, he's either not flustered or he doesn't show it. He does not miss a beat. We've met. Yeah. With Renly Baratheon. What a direction to take the conversation. We've met with Renly Baratheon. What did he say about you? He said your loyalty came free of charge. Someone appears to have paid quite a bit for it since then. Tough. Yeah. Jamie really, man, it seemed like he was helping her out a lot, but that sword and that armor, that's uh, that's yeah. just a giant flashing sign that says, we'll work with Lannisters. Right, absolutely. Like there's, the best. There's a lion on the, <laughs> on the pommel of the sword. <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm not working for them. Is that a lion on the pommel? Of- yeah, but you know. Brienne not flustered either, right? She's committed. She sees her moment here. She kneels. Lady Sansa, before your mother's death, I was her sworn sword. I gave my word I would find you and protect you. I will shield your back and keep your counsel and give my life for yours if needs be. I swear it by the old gods and the new. Littlefinger can't let this happen. He's worked too hard. He's come too far. Sansa is too important to him, both personally and to his plans. What's that little letter he's carrying around, right? He's got something cooking. Littlefinger brings up Renly's death. This woman swore to protect Renly. She failed. She swore to protect your mother. She failed. Why would I want someone with your history of failure guarding Lady Sansa? And you know what? He has a slight point here. Sure. That is a brutal cut. And so Brienne, and this was never going to work, asked for a moment alone. But Sansa, at this point, let's face it, Littlefinger has made a quite, quite a good pitch. She says, I saw you at Joffrey's wedding bowing to the king. Neither of us wanted to be there, Brienne says. Sometimes we don't have a choice, and sometimes we do. You should leave. And once again, Sansa has made a choice between the devil she doesn't know and the one she does. Brienne will not accept it. She will not give up. I swore to their mother I'd protect those girls. Nothing would be less palatable to Brienne than breaking her vow. It's the thing that horrified her most about Jamie for so long. Oathbreaker. Man without honor. She doesn't want to be that. And giving up this easily in her mind would be akin to that. Pod's trying again, though, if they don't want your protection, right? But Brienne, that's not enough. Do you think she's safe with Littlefinger? No. Yeah. No. And so until she's safe, get your horse. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus... You can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Over in Bravos, Arya not getting the welcome she expected at the House of Black and White when, when a guy gives you a magic coin and kills like 20 people. Uh, you know, you think you're going to get a warm welcome, maybe a little hug, but that's not what she gets. So she knocks on the door and she says, you know, Jock and Nagar gave me this coin. No one here by that name. And she goes, you know, where am I supposed to go? I have nowhere else to go. And he says, I you checked have, the invitation yeah. twice. This you is have, definitely the right address. You have everywhere else to go. And clearly the temptation to just leave is strong because after she sits on the steps for what seems like a really long time and the weather changes, day turns into night, sun turns into rain, turns back into sun again. She's reciting her list all this time. She takes the coin, walks up to the canal, tosses it in and leaves. Kills another pigeon, we should say, in the streets of Bravos. Stop doing that. <laughs> and some of the Bravos there try and take it. Now, this is a this is an interesting aside of Bravos as a culture. 
as we know from Syria, they're very proud of their sword fighting culture there. And if you walk around in the streets of Bravos with a sword on your hip, that is seen by Bravosis as kind of a challenge. I can handle myself. Is that what that says? So you open yourself up to challenges and duels, which are an important part of Bravosi culture. Anyway, after that kindly man kind of just with a look flushes those tufts out of the, they run away when they see him. Arya follows him back. Who are you? Why were they scared of you? And he flips her the coin. You lost this. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, it's Jack. And you said there was no Jack and Agar here. There isn't. A man is not Jack and Agar. Well, who are you then? No one. And that is who a girl must become. Dun, dun, dun. Talk about temptation. How intriguing. This is what she has been wanting to do since season one. How do I change my face? How do I become someone else? How will I become someone who can kill my enemies at will? And here she is finally going to embark on that journey. There are not, as far as we know, elections in the House of Black. No. But- There are a shocking amount of them over in Westeros. And one of the things that I like best about the democratic process is that before (laughs) you cast your ballot, you can look at a piece of filth like Janice Slynn and do some negative campaigning. You know, he might just be the advisor, right? He's not the candidate, but even so. It's like, would we not say shit about Steve Bannon? Right. Come on. But wait. Campaigns and elections in a land ruled by monarchs? Ho, 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 ho. What gives? Let's give Jano Slint one moment to clean up the puddle of his own making. And then let's assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about Westerosi elections. Elections. Yeah, voting does happen in Westeros. Perhaps a surprise, uh, considering that Westeros is a feudal society in which all property is held at the pleasure of the king. For instance, the Starks, now the Boltons in the north and the Martells in Dorne all rule their lands and pass them down to their children because the king says that they can. On the surface, there doesn't seem to be much place for voting in this world of top-down authoritarianism, but yes, it happens. Even outside the relatively egalitarian settings of the Night's Watch, here are some of the notable examples of quasi-democracy from Westeros history. Probably the prime example is Great Councils. A great council is a gathering of lords from houses great and small from across the realm called together to decide the path of succession. Great councils then have only been convened when the sitting king slash protector of the realm has the wisdom and foresight to see that, hey, I think this transfer of power is going to be fucked up. Maybe we should call a great council. So the first one was called in 101 AC during the end of the reign of old King Jaehaerys a.k.a. Jaehaerys, the conciliar, probably the greatest king in Westeros' history. Um, he codified the legal Wait, system. better than Joff? <laughs> Imagine. He, he unified and codified the legal system. Uh, I'll talk about more about that later, but essentially there were two legal systems between the faith and the king. He got the faith militant to disarm. I will also go into this uh, actually next episode. Ended the much reviled practice of first night, which is any marriage that takes place in a region, the Lord who rules over that region is allowed to go to the wedding and have sex with the wife so, on her wedding night before, so the, before the groom. Yeah, this that uh, caused feelings, by the way. that People hated that uh, that practice. And Jaehaerys ended it. He embarked on an ambitious public works program. He fixed up the sewer, got the water running right. 
and the realm prospered much under Jaehaerys. Probably too much. The biggest problem at the end of his reign was that there were just way, 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 way too many Targaryens, too many potential rulers. Obviously, this is a problem. So the first great council was convened. And this would be a very consequential gathering, actually, because by choosing Prince Viserys, who's the son of Jaehaerys' late heir, Balon the Brave, instead of the boy lord, Leonor Valerion, uh, the precedent preferring male over female was set. So in other words, um, if you have two potential heirs and one, the line of succession passes through the male line and the other passes through the female line, you prefer the male line. And that precedent was set at the Great Council of 101. Then there is the Great Council of 136. So in 131, as the, the realm was just beginning the arduous task of bringing itself back together after the cataclysmic Dance of the Dragons Civil War, a war, by the way, caused in part by the precedent set at the Great Council of 101, the III Targaryen, they love to name their fucking kids Aegon, Aegon <laughs> the III Targaryen was crowned um, in the dead of winter, boy king, 11 years old. Now, there's no more fraught prospect for a realm than that of a child ruler, physically and mentally unprepared for the rigors of ruling. These little kitty kings can easily fall under the sway of unscrupulous advisors, which can lead to plotting and counterplotting and what else? War. We don't want that. So to head off this possibility, seven regents were selected from various noble houses and they were put in place to advise the king. That's instead of the usual single regent, you know, like Cersei Lannister or something like that. They, they picked seven. Uh, the regency lasted five years and as counselors either quit or died, they were replaced. But at a certain point during the regency, three spots opened up at once and so they called a great council to settle on those replacements. Then, great council of 233 AC, King Makar died while putting down a rebellion in Dorne. He left the realm an unclear succession plan. The King's Hand, Brendan Rivers, a.k.a. Blood Raven, mm. a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven, called Great Council to avert the, at that point, very real possibility of civil war. The obvious choice appeared to be Prince Aegon, the fourth son of the late king. However, the prince had famously spent much of his youth touring the realm under the care of a humble hedge knight named Sir Duncan the Tall. Dunk! Dunk! Duncan so, Egg! So one percenters in Westeros are like one percenters anywhere. They don't trust the predilections of someone who spent too much time among the peasantry. They don't think that they're going to protect the rich people's interests. So the council offered the crown to Aegon's older brother, Aemon, a maester of the Citadel. Yes, that maester, Aemon. Uh -huh. He passed, though, because he loved his brother and didn't really feel like being a king. Also, it was kind of dodgy how they were going to get him out of being a maester. It, you know, it was a whole thing. So he passed. Aegon was crowned Aegon V, and Master Aemon went to the wall rather than become, you know, the focus of potential plots to undo his brother. Fun fact, Aegon V's first act as king was to send Brynden Rivers, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven, to the wall for murder. And then finally, there's the King Smoots. So this is just for the Iron, Iron Islanders. The golden age of the Iron Islanders corresponded with the era of the King Smoot, which was a method by which the Iron Lords selected their king. Before the King Smoot, internecine warfare amongst the Ironborn was very common. They raided and killed each other. Then came Galon Whitestaff, an influential priest of the Drowned God. He declared that Ironborn should not war against Ironborn, and he brought the lords of the Islanders together on Naga's Hill, which is this holy spot, this, the ribs of this giant sea monster, where each in turn could make their case why they should be king. And this practice um, went on for quite a while and then ended about 5,000 years ago when 
Euron Grey Iron, later known as Euron Red Hand, descended on the King Smoot in process and basically killed everybody. Slaughtered all the candidates, declared himself king. Give me a Queen Smoot! So why does the Night's Watch yeah. choose to have an election? Why not just say the most mm. senior member? Suddenly yeah. you're in charge. What is the purpose of this? It's a good question. When you look at the body of the Night's Watch, what it is as a body, it's the only place, as we've said before, where people who could have been king, former hands of the king, and just nobodies can rise according to their talents. And so this very much is in keeping with that because you can't put on airs here. Listen, if the Lord Commander happens to be a peasant guy and, you know, like the other person running against him is Brendan Rivers or someone else who happened to be a hand of the king, you've got to have some way that it's a fair process where it's all out in the open and people get to vote according to who they think can do the job the best. And so that's why this process exists. Shouts to Maester Eamon for casting what the a life that guy decisive vote. VP Eamon. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Mal. Yeah. We're not going to abandon our king in his time of need. We're Never. going to head to the Sept to bathe in the land of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round style. Number one. So Arya arrives uh, at the Ragman's Harbor, brought by the captain, who she gave the coin. And he tells her, this is where you'll find the man you seek, as they pull up to the House of Black and White. Thank you for bringing me, she said. Any man of Bravos would have done the same. Well, that's because the coin is a marker of the faceless men who are held in both high regard and not a small amount of fear Terror. in Bravos. Uh, and they are an important part of the culture there because they're, an, they're a quasi-religious order that encompasses all religions. The many-faced God essentially is every single God of the known world in one God. What do we say to death? Not today. Not today. Number two. Yeah. Good Sansa moment. Great. When in the first episode of season five, when they're still at the Vale, they're hanging yeah. out with Royce watching Sweet Robin swing that sword. And Sansa sees that Littlefinger receives a message, yeah. right? And she's been thinking about it. Clearly, it's on her mind. And in this episode, she asks him about it. Who slid into your DMs? <laughs> okay? And he says, and he's right, yeah. you're becoming an observant lady. Right. Now, less nice is what we now know, which is, you know, he says it's yeah. a marriage proposal. But before uh -oh. he can elaborate, the waitress comes over with the ale. And what do we know, guys? This is going to send our girl down an extremely dark path. And Very bad. Just a note to like our producer, Zach Mack, and all the other all the other big open-hearted and open-minded folks out there who want to be like, but did Littlefinger really know yeah. what kind of guy Ramsey was? Look how long this fucker was plotting this for. Yes. You don't think he's doing his research? He knows. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the sigil. Wait, these guys seem bad. Number three. Some really great counsel from Dario here during the hunt for the harpies. He's talking to Grey Worm about, you know, are you afraid? You're afraid. And they're looking around this empty chamber, this empty apartment. And he says, you know, right, that's your problem. You understood fear once long ago, but you've forgotten what it means. Someone who's forgotten fear has forgotten how to hide. And he stabs the wall and there's the harpy. Fear is useful that way. Such a great moment yeah, because great. Grey Worm's ready to be like, no one's here. Yeah. No one's here. And he is afraid. fear nothing. You need that. Yeah. That's an honest emotion. Number four. Got to talk about this. Okay. This is the thing. When Jamie comes to see Cersei yeah. and she 
is sitting there at her desk, you know, just waiting to have a chat. What's in front of her? Well, it's a container. What's inside the container? It's a carved serpent. Right. Red viper. Right. That's kind of a clear reference. <laughs> and on it is a Lannister lion pendant, a necklace. Cersei says, there are only two like it in the world, the one I'm wearing and the one I gave to Marcella. So she uses this right. to launch into a conversation about how this is a threat. They yeah. mean Marcella harm. We got to get her out of there. No, it isn't. Right. There are not only two like it in the world because we've seen four of these yeah. on the show. Cersei's, the one she gave Marcella, yep. the one Joffrey gives to Sansa, and the one Are Tyrion, you my lady now and always? <laughs> and the one Tyrion gives to Roz. Yeah. What's crazy about this is the Roz one actually becomes a plot point. Right. It's what Cersei uses to basically bridge the gap that she's like, it's oh, like, you're Tyrion's whore. It's like Derek Jeter in the gift basket. So they're <laughs> just giving these out. Number five. Varys. As they ride in their carriage, their first-class carriage, says, are you really going to spend the entire road to Volantis talking about the futility of everything? And Tyrion says, you're right. No point. <laughs> That's good. Quite amusing. Quite amusing. Number six. There's a Gilly Shireen grayscale chat in this Ugh. episode that, uh, spoiler alert, does not bode well for my dude Jorah. <laughs> Two of my sisters had it, Gilly yeah. says. They both died. <laughs> yeah. How did they cure you? She wants to know. Shireen says, I don't remember. I was a baby. Lots of people came and tried, I think. Whatever they did, it went away. What happened to your sisters? Well, funny you should ask. We heard them, especially at night. Now, that is how you talk about animals, yeah. not people, right? So that's alarming. They started to sound not like themselves. Sam asks if she ever saw them, and Gilly says, only once at the end. They were covered with it, their Ugh. faces, their arms. They acted like animals. My father had to drag them out to the woods on a rope. This matches the description of what we will see later when, again, spoiler alert, Jorah and Tyrion are sailing through the doom of yep. Valeria and come across the stone men. I want better. I want better for my man. I really do. But I fear. I fear what's ahead for him. Number seven. Shireen says Gilly won't hurt her when Selyse is like, you know, talking about them. Can't hang out with these wildlings. And Selyse says. You have no idea what people will do. All your books and you still don't know. That is so right and so wrong. I mean, it's absolutely right. Yes. And she's talking about herself. So horrible. Yeah. So painful. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Your bravery. Thank you. Made Thorn look weak. You have that in common yeah. with this episode's winner. Each episode, we are honoring the person who played the game advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. This week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Jon Snow, your new Lord Commander. We've the, talked about Jon a lot yeah. already, but let's put a bow on it. The 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. This is an incredible moment for Jon because... Uh, it really shows that his brothers believe in him. You know, I mean, he hasn't really been around. He's went on the ranging. A lot of those guys died. Then he was out with the wildlings. He's only been back a sh very, very, very short time when he came back. Whispers about him with the wildlings and how soft he is in him. But by leading the defense of Castle Black, he earned the respect of everyone who served with him, who watched him fight. They know what he's about because they fought next to him and they're willing to absolutely vote for him, which is crazy because he's like 
I don't know, what show age is John here? 19? 20? I mean, he's a kid. Yeah, younger in the books. And it's an amazing moment for John. It's so cool. And it's awesome that Sam helps him get there, too, because... You know, their belief in each other is a huge part of why they're both not only thriving, but frankly, alive. Yes, 100 percent. They 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 each have something that the other one needs from the relationship. Totally. And that's kind of like the irony of power, too, isn't it? Is that oftentimes the person who is most suited to wield it is the person who doesn't want it at all. Just wants nothing. Like, I don't want to do this. It's one of the ideas, clearly, that George is most fascinated by. Guys. Yeah. Kneel before us. Okay. Lay your swords at our feet. Pledge us your service. Yep. And you shall rise again as lords of binge mode. <laughs> we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season five, episode three, High Sparrow. Until then, remember. Nothing's worth anything to a dead man. Alyssa Thorne, first ranger, but what do we really know about this guy? He's brutal to the recruits. Do you want to follow a man who put Jano Slint in charge of the wall? Or do you want to follow a real leader? Paid for by Brothers for Jon Snow.